Hey guys, OG of the HRC here. Welcome to the very first, the OG of the HRC way, news you ain't hearing anywhere else. I promise you. My overall goal is to do just that, tell you guys some news stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Now, initially, my hope and my dream was to have a roundtable, a couple of friends to come and talk about these news stories. Obviously, we are living in the time of COVID, and we're doing what we can. For the time being, you got me, the OG of the HRC. So I hope that you join us. We're going to try to do this a couple times a week, so the more the merrier. So let's get going here. Let's just get straight into it. Three news stories that no one else is talking about. I guarantee it. All right, so news story number one. It is a story that, unfortunately, the media has not picked up but I think it's kind of a big deal. Now, I know that we are all overwhelmed with what happened at the Capitol just a few days ago. Um, I made a decision to not go too deep into it because I feel like the media is doing a pretty good job overall on exposing what happened, who, what, where, and how, and we're still, sadly, days away from really figuring out. And so I decided, let's take a story from that story And let's jump a little bit deeper. So Clarence Thomas is obviously a Supreme Court justice. He's been a Supreme Court justice since 1990. Now, his wife is named Virginia. Most people don't have a clue who Virginia is, but Virginia is a very big deal in Washington, D.C. Clarence Thomas became a Supreme Court justice in 1990. He met his wife in 1988. She was a lobbyist and Republican aide at the time. And they got married, and there you go. However, that's not the end of the story. Now, Virginia Thomas is known in Washington, D.C. as one of the biggest lobbyists in all of Washington, D.C. Now, legally, there's no law saying that a Supreme Court justice's spouse can't work in the government, can't be a lobbyist, can't no law whatsoever. But the issue that has come up now is, I think, a much bigger issue than just that, just being a lobbyist. So Virginia Thomas on her Facebook, um, very often, she is what you would call, I don't know, an extremist. Uh, A few years back, she used to call herself the Tea Party Whisperer, and that was the extreme of the right in the early 2000s, and now we have, probably she'll call herself a Trump Whisperer. She's a very devout Trump supporter. Now, the issue here is that she decided to fund pay for 75 buses to get people to this rally turned domestic terrorist act. And it didn't stop there. As the rioting and the domestic terrorism was going on, she went on her Facebook in the midst of all this, as they were taking over the Capitol and as Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence and all these senators and Congress members had to run for cover, literally and figuratively, she went on her Facebook and she said, God bless you all, talking about these people. Now, there is an issue. And the fact that the media is not talking about it makes me sick to my stomach because She's gotten away with a lot of stuff over the years, but I think that this this goes beyond that. Five people have died, and including an officer, which last time I checked, I thought they were all for Blue Lives Matter. Apparently not. 
So the overall issue is what happens if one of these cases makes it all the way to the Supreme Court? What if someone who was there rioting and domestic ends up in the court? How do we know that Justice Thomas is not influenced based on, once again, his wife's interference? Back in the, the 2010, I believe, it was the first time that Obamacare was coming up on a Supreme Court case. I know we've heard about 50 million Supreme Court cases on Obamacare, but this was one of the original ones. And his wife was a lobbyist. She actually runs one of the largest lobbyist firms in all of Washington, D.C. And 74 Democrats wrote a letter saying, asking if Thomas could recuse himself because of his wife's outlandish statements about Obamacare. Now, he said, she doesn't affect me, blah, blah, blah. But there's an underlining issue here of overreaching. And now this has turned into a big real issue, not just a political issue, but a people are dead issue. And no one is talking about it. And the cherry on top is that magically her Facebook page, which she was very, very active on, has disappeared. No one can find anything. If you try, I tried when I was researching the story, I tried to find some of her back posts um, to get more information, but they're gone. Luckily, as all people do, everyone's Nancy Drew these days, they took screenshots and I got a lot of screenshots of her, her outlandish things as she says. It's one thing, I think it's, it's a borderline to fund buses for a rally, as they were calling it in the beginning, a rally for, I don't know, stop the vote or whatever it was, I could care less. But when it turns deadly and you have people who are breaking the law and breaking into a federal building, and like I said, you know, Pelosi and Pence and all of these people are having to go down to a bunker and you decide to take it upon yourself to go onto Facebook and say, God bless you all, when they're breaking the law and hurting people and causing terror and chaos and building a noose in front of the Capitol, I, I think we have a problem here. I don't know. If she was a regular person, I think the FBI would be knocking on her door, investigating what she did. But somehow, I don't think that that's what we're going to be seeing here. So that's something that you guys should all look into and you should see for yourself and sort of make some phone calls <laughs> maybe on what can be done. Because like I said, there's no laws against a Supreme Court justice's spouse working in the government, which I think maybe maybe it's time there is a law. Maybe there's time it's it's limited as it usually when you work for the United States government, there's limits that your spouse can and can't do things. But, you know, she's still the head of this lobbyist firm. She's still doing things, but you can't look it up in terms of Facebook because it's gone. So why would it disappear if she didn't do anything wrong? So that that's a really great question. And considering that Thomas by himself, Justice Thomas by himself, is pretty damn controversial. So, I mean, he didn't, you know, when, when he was getting, he was nominated, the entire Anita Hill debacle happened. And then in 1999, another woman came out and said that he inappropriately touched her. So, there's a lot of controversy there, but yet you don't really hear much about it. You know, maybe that's because just like Thomas, there's not, there's not much coverage because he was always just Scalia's bitch boy. And um, he's never asked a single question in the Supreme Court. And so maybe that's why. I don't know. But I think there's something there. And I think that everyone should know about it. And I think that everyone should do dig deeper 
and look into Virginia Thomas. You might be surprised. All right, so we are so excited. Georgia was one. We won not one, but two seats, which is what we had to do, meaning that Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will be the deciding vote for probably 99.9% of these uh, bills that they're going to want to make to law to have President-elect Joe Biden sign. Now, it's great. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. We are officially 50-50. In my opinion, I feel like we should have won the Senate back without Georgia, and Georgia should have been our bonus state. Um, But that's the one I'm going to get into. The thing that no one is talking about or very few are talking about. I saw a couple people um, on the Georgia election night talking about this sort of on Twitter, again, nothing on mainstream media, is that there is um, a, a range when you're a senator based on your voting record. So you have the right, further right, center, center right, center, center left, on and on. And if you go to govtrack.us, they tell you, You can look for a senator and they tell you where they fall. There's a couple of senators that are Democrats that fall center, and one of them even actually falls center right. So that's what I want to talk about is these wild card senators, because I think that all of you should be aware that, yes, again, it's fantastic that we have control of the Senate, because anytime Mitch McConnell loses anything, I'm one happy lady. But um, and the way that it happened was pretty great. All he had to do was give people two thousand dollars and he probably had a good shot at taking at least one of the seats in Georgia. But he didn't play that right. Um, So I digress. But so these wild card senators, um, basically, I want to explain everyone's hopes versus everyone's reality or what the reality should be. So these there's three senators that I really feel are going to be wild cards. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He considers himself a conservative Democrat. Um, He's very, very popular in West Virginia, even though he's a Democrat because he is that to the right, center right Democrat. Um, He actually is the former governor of West Virginia, and then he went on to be the senator. And he votes, like I said, to the center right. And he's not for a lot of these, you know, real left ideas. That's just not how he is. And that's also how he keeps winning and he's able to stay on our side. Um, He's also pro-life. However, he's not for Roe v. Wade being overturned. Um, You know, so things like that. And and he's, he's actually a really great senator to have on our side because he speaks blue collar person and it works and he just keeps winning in his state. So it's a good thing to have him there. Um, the other one is Senator Cinema from Arizona. She's the new girl on the block. Um, she beat Martha McSally in 2018. No one really saw that coming, but Martha McSally is, as we've seen now, not the most popular person in Arizona. <laughs> the governor put Martha McSally in two times, appointed her, and two times she's lost now. Um, so she, the thing is with Senator Cinema is when you look at her voting record thus far, she stays center, but you never really know. She is truly a wild card. You never know where she's going to go, and she's just starting. She was a congresswoman before she was a senator, and that voting record is the same sort of all over the place. And she was also in the state senate um, from Arizona, again, all over the place. At one point, she was 
the Green Party early on in her career, and now she's more to the right. So she's a wild card, and she kind of beats her own drum. Um, when she was sworn in, she wasn't sworn in on a genuine Bible. She was sworn in on the Constitution and the Constitution of Arizona. Um, she dresses more out there. Her hair, she's had pink hair. She's had blonde hair. She's, she's a wild card. And she's not a big fan of Chuck Schumer. She made that known when she was running. She said actually in 2018 when she was running that she would not vote for Chuck Schumer as the minority or majority leader. So, you know, there's there's some issues there. Um, and then the third one is Senator Feinstein. If you guys follow me, you know I am a big Senator Feinstein fan. She is about as sinner as you can get. Um, she's had a lot of bills successfully made into law that are still into law. She took on the NRA. She got semi-automatic weapons banned off of the market for 10 solid years. No other senator has been able to do that. Um, she's fought for women's rights, gay rights, all that, but she is of the center. And the main reason she doesn't believe in partisan politics and believes truly in her soul in bipartisan politics is because she witnessed firsthand what partisan politics can do. Um, of course, of the assassination of Harvey Milk and the mayor of San Francisco, she was there when it happened. I mean, she literally put her hand in the bullet hole for Harvey Milk to try to save his life, and it didn't work. And she knew the guy who assassinated them, and that was pure partisan politics. She doesn't really talk about that ordeal very often. But one time she had said, I know what partisan par politics looks like firsthand, and that's why I try night and day to always come together. So those are the three that I see sort of causing some issues. Now, like I said about Manchin, um, he is up for re-election in 2024. So it's enough time out that he doesn't really have to bother. A lot of times senators <laughs> will make weird decisions to vote on things because they're up for re-election. And it could cost them the election or save them the election. Like I said a couple of minutes ago, Mitch McConnell, he, he could have potentially maybe saved one of his seats in Georgia and kept the majority if he would have just pushed through the cash act of $2,000, but he didn't. And he got played by a lot of people, including, I believe, in my opinion, Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi. But um, so Manchin's not up for 2024. So he is not, he's not going to be pushed too much further left. So any... Something like um, Chuck Schumer, he sort of dropped it a little bit now, but Chuck Schumer originally was saying that he wanted Joe Biden to, President-elect Biden, excuse me, to um, erase student debt. You know, I think it was like $10,000 worth of student debt. Now, Manchin, he won't go for something like that because he is center-right and because of who he works for. At the end of the day, everyone needs to remember that these senators work for their state. So they represent their state and for the good of their state. So, you know, we lose one vote in this. We're one vote shy. I don't believe that we're going to get any Republicans to be on board with that. So that's something to keep in mind for people. It doesn't make him a bad guy. It makes him someone who's really good at knowing how to, to work with his constituents. And I think that that's something, this rare thing that you don't see anymore. Um, you know, like I said, he leans more right. He considers himself a moderate conservative Democrat. Like I said, um, he started this really great group when he first came to the Senate in 2010 called um, No Labels. 
And it's a bipartisan group where they meet, I believe, monthly, and they try to work things out. And he he's the co-chair of that, and I and I sort of love that. But at the same time, it means that he is not willing to bend too much. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's rumors that he's going to join the Republican Party, and he had been asked before in 2012 if that was a possibility, and he said as long as he was in the Senate, he would not be joining the Republican Party. But that doesn't mean that he's going to vote with us all the time. And I don't believe that any senator should vote one way all the time. I believe that every senator should look at the bill and make a decision for their constituents whether or not this is a good, clean bill or not. So he is someone to watch um, as as you know, ideas and bills and things start coming along and we need votes. And everyone also needs to remember that Chuck Schumer's never been the majority leader before. And a big, big part of the job is whipping votes and knowing your counts. No one is better at this than Nancy Pelosi, but she can't help him over at the Senate. He's got to do this on his own. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Manchin. I don't know. He's he helped a lot in this Georgia race, actually, and people don't know that. But he helped a lot of talking to, like I said, the blue-collar voter. And I think something must have worked there. So Joe Manchin, West Virginia, someone to watch, wild card. Um, over half of his bills were co-sponsored by a Republican. So that's a lot in D.C. terms. So then you go into Senator Cinema. Like I said, she's the new girl on the block. Excuse me, she won in 2018. Um, she helped us take back Arizona, which is a really big deal because Arizona has been red for so long. Um, and a lot of people from California have moved to Arizona. So they take with them, of course, their political belief system. And um, I think that that's great. So at the same time, she has to play that role of the center because she can lose her seat and then we could lose it to a Republican all over again. So we have two blue seats in Arizona. Um, Senator Kelly, who obviously is Gab Gabby Gifford's uh, husband, I, he's he's a little bit more on the conservative side, too. I, d I don't want to speak on him because he doesn't have a voting record. He was an astronaut before he was uh, a, a senator now. But, you know, I think that he'll be of the left, obviously, with everything in terms of gun gun rights because he almost lost his wife to a, a crazy person with a gun. So I think we can count on that. I think we can count on all of these senators for gun issues. Uh, senator Manchin, to go back to him for a second, he actually has bipartisan bills um, trying to do um, – intense background checks, which is a pretty amazing thing considering he's from West Virginia with all of these gun-toned people. So gun issues on all three of them we can count on, but it's those other, you know, uh, Medicare for All, for example, which it's not going to get on the floor. I believe it's going to be fix Obamacare for right now, um, which desperately needs to be done. But cinema, I think that she's she comes from a very tough upbringing. Apparently, she lived in a gas station with her parents for like two years or something. She used to be Mormon. She left the church, and now she's this sort of free soul. So keep an eye on Senator Cinema because that's going to be very interesting. She's extremely smart. She has a PhD, by the way. I, when I was doing research for this, I was like, she has a PhD? I, and not in a judgmental way, but I just never thought that. Look, I mean, I don't know. But she did vote against the Green New Deal when it came up and when she was in the House. And she's voted multiple Trump appointees in. So that's something important for people to know. Again, that does not make her a bad person. 
It makes her a senator who's trying to, or a congresswoman at the time, who's trying to balance things. So um, we'll see. You know, I always judge everyone based off of their record. So 59% of her bills have a Republican co-sponsor. So she's obviously bipartisan, which is a good thing. But, uh, you know, my, my, my issue with cinema is her beliefs to me kind of change based on the day. Um, so we shall see. There was a State of the Union, the infamous one where Pelosi ripped the the, the speech. Um, and cinema, you know, it's like this whole, the, the whole State of the Union is so ridiculous now where they're all like the Republicans, if it's a Republican president, they stand up for everything, you know, and the Democrats are like, hmm, no, you know. <laughs> so she stood up a couple times when Trump said things and senators were, you know, uh, Democrats were looking at her like, what are you doing? And she didn't care. She doesn't care. She beats to her own drum. So she's going to be an interesting one to watch. And then, of course, my girl, Dianne Feinstein, the slow and steady but always wins the race. Um, she is important in terms of women's history. She was the first woman mayor of San Francisco, which is a very big deal. She was a mayor for 10 years. Um, I have some uncles who spent a lot of time. I grew up in the Bay Area, so she, her name meant a lot. A, a big deal was a big. Her name and Pelosi's name were like, oh my gosh, such a big deal, growing up. And that's probably why I love them so much. But um, my uncles said that she's probably the best mayor of San Francisco. They felt safe and the city was clean and she just was a really great mayor. And she's been a phenomenal senator. Um, so she's been a senator since 1992. She's obviously the oldest senator. That's the whole big debacle, right? Um, now, here's my theory is that when this entire – so she used to be the co-chair of the Judiciary Committee, and you all know because you all turned on her with the Amy Coney Barrett thing, which first and foremost, there was absolutely positively nothing she could do. And and I mean that. Um, ever since Harry Reid changed uh, – Majority Leader Harry Reid changed to the nuclear option where you no longer needed 60 votes to push through a justice, there was nothing that could be done to stop that. And – the ridicule that she got for that and how she was forced to step down as co-chair when she was the first woman to ever do so, to ever co-chair that seat. And now she would be the judiciary chair um, irks me to no other because this whole thing of, oh, she's losing it and she can't remember things. And I watch a lot of C-SPAN, a lot. Like I don't watch any other news or anything like that. I watch C-SPAN and I watch these senators and how they interact. And I watched her one day and they were there for a couple hours, actually. They were they were debating. I can't remember they were debating. And I was watching her. And I was like, man, if I'm like that at 87 years old, I'm doing just fine. There's nothing wrong with her. What I think is going on is that Chuck Schumer wants her gone because she's a wild card and she's bipartisan and she's of the center and she can't be told what to do. And she does what she believes is the right thing no matter what. Like when the torture report came out and she was the chair of the intel and Obama told her, do not release this information do not read it out loud do not we do not want people that to know that we were torturing you know um al-qaeda or taliban or whatever we were at guantanamo bay and she said no i have to do it and she went against her own side and she went on the floor and she had support from some other women senators who stood behind her and she read the report and so that's what you're dealing with. So I think that's the actual issue that people have with Dianne Feinstein is that you can't tell her what to do. And Chuck Schumer wants Gavin Newsom, who is the governor here in California, to replace her with someone like super, super liberal so he can be guaranteed that vote. But uh, my money is always on Feinstein. She's out. <laughs> she's outlived many, many. Um, and I mean that figuratively. <laughs> but, you know, so we'll see what happens with that. I mean, she is 87 and. 
but I think, like I said, if if I could be like that at 87, I'm doing just just fine. So then there's another interesting fact that everyone seems to be talking about is these three wild cards on the Republican side. We have Senator Murkowski, Senator Collins, and Senator Romney. Um, Let me just break it down real simple for everyone. Murkowski and Collins, I can't believe Collins still has a job. I just, I mean, I'm sorry I have to add that in because I cannot believe we did not take back Maine and didn't spend more money in Maine, Chuck Schumer. Anyways, Senator Murkowski of Alaska, she is Alaska royalty. Her father was governor. Her father was senator. Uh, She got the job because her father was senator. He passed away. She took over. She's kept it since. She voted against Kavanaugh. She was one of the only ones. Senator Feinstein actually convinced her to do that. Um, But she's up for re-election in 2022, folks. And there is a really, really big rumor that Sarah Palin, yes, I know, Sarah Palin, (laughs) um, is going to run against her and primary her. And you guys can all laugh and all of that because we notice how wackadoo this lady is. But Alaska is very proud of her. And they did not, they did give her the governor job after being a mayor of a very small town. And they loved her. So I think that that is a threat. And Sarah Palin is cuckooville, but she fits into the narrative of what's happening. And Senator Murkowski vote, not voting for Kavanaugh, um, being one of the most bipartisan senators on the Hill, I think she's got 2022 on her mind. And when senators are that close to election, re-election, and with her, she's got the added pressure of her dad, I, I think she'll be an ally to us, but I don't think she's going to be an ally in the ways that people think she is, uh, if she wants to keep her job. I mean, to, to be a Democrat in Alaska, I, d- I don't know. It's one of a state I've never been to, but I, <laughs> I just don't think that that's going to happen. So, again, I think she'll be an ally, but uh, not in the, ex- the, 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 the college stuff. The college stuff, she will be in terms of, like, reform and making community college debt-free and things like that. But, um, you know... Senator Collins, she just got reelected again. I don't know how. Like, this woman, I mean, and her, (laughs) she's highly disappointed in Trump all the time, but yet she never does anything about it. I mean, Um, she used to be, she still is technically one of the most bipartisan senators. I think that we can rely on her on everyday bills, but not the big ones. Um, You know, yeah. And Romney, he wants to run for president, everyone, in 2024, so... I wouldn't count on him for anything. (laughs) And I think that he says he talks a big talk, but he never walks a walk ever in his entire career, which is why he couldn't win the presidency Uh, (laughs) because he's just fluff and he'll be fluff in 2024 and all that. So that's something to really think about, guys. Mansion, Cinema, and Feinstein. Keep an eye on them. And Murkowski, Collins, and Romney. Romney don't keep an eye on because that's like a waste of time. He's... (laughs) He's not ever gonna. He always has these big bold speeches, and um, there's actually a video of him. It was his birthday, and he. I'm not kidding, everyone. He didn't know how to um, blow out a candle. He was like a robot. Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's the most awkward thing in the world. But uh, yeah, don't count on him. So there's wild card senators, and you know. Everyone also needs to keep in mind that when President-elect Joe Biden comes in, he's going to be handed a shitstorm. And it's not just a shitstorm because of what Trump has done or not done. It's a shitstorm because we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And we have a deficit beyond belief 
I mean, the fact that Republicans who are like, no deficit ever, um, have allowed this is is unbelievable to me. So he's going to, you know, people are expecting President-elect Biden to come in and magically make everything better. And they expected that of Barack Obama with his hope and change. And then he got into office and he was like, oh, my God, this is even worse than I thought it was. And that's say, sadly the same thing's going to happen with Biden. And he's going to have to focus on COVID 24-7. Everyone needs to also remember with these Senates is that how much are we going to add to our deficit? I mean, truthfully, like that's something he's Biden will overdo Trump's, you know, tax cuts for the rich. But that takes some time to circulate back in. And, you know, I think he'll push through the two thousand dollars right away. Done. But it's going to be covid, 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 covid and trying to get an economy back in this country. So and offering jobs. So my hope is that they can all all these senators and Joe Biden, President elect Biden, excuse me, um, can focus on an infrastructure bill once and for all. The amount of jobs, the amount of everything. And they could be solar panel buildings. We could be the green country. You know, the lead Hillary Clinton one time said, there's going to be a country that's going to lead on clean energy. Why can't it be us? And I say that. Why can't it be us? So infrastructure bill is what I'm hoping we really, really push through. Education to everyone will be important, by the way, because of Joe Biden's wife, uh, excuse me, President-elect Biden's wife, uh, Dr. Biden. And yes, she's a doctor, so haters can go ahead and hate. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so it's going to be keep an eye for these wildcard senators and just um, know that, you know, midterms are two years away. (laughs) So we shall see. We shall see. All right, story number three that I absolutely positively guarantee that no other anyone except for real people uh, are talking about. So um, in 2016, I sort of watched, 2015 actually, um, I sort of watched firsthand how the media reacted to Donald J. Trump coming down that escalator. So at first it was a joke and everyone laughed and it was like, oh my gosh, this is so gaudy. Is this an episode of The Apprentice? And uh, then he started winning states. And and then next thing you know, he was the nominee for the Republican Party. And I noticed how the media went from covering Hillary Clinton's speeches, if she was in Ohio or, you know, uh, Nevada or Arizona or wherever she was, they would cut her off midway and they would go to an empty podiums of Donald Trump waiting for him to come because they had become addicted And that's what we're dealing with now is this media Trump addiction. So the the media has made millions and millions and millions of dollars covering Donald Trump. And so about five years now, and they love those numbers, and they love the ad space that they're selling, and they love it all. So they sit there and they're like, oh, he's the worst. This is one of the main reasons why I don't watch the main news stories and I watch more C-SPAN than anything else. Um, They sit there and they say, oh, he's the worst or, oh, he's, you know, this and that. But yet they cover it and they dissect a tweet over and over and over and over. Now, luckily in my life, I got I got blocked by Donald Trump in 2016 when the election was going on. And it's been the best thing ever because I don't have to see his nonsense and his noise. And now it's not a problem for anyone, right? But the media now with Trump not being on social media, not being anywhere really. I mean, they're putting the, the, the White House is putting the lid 
pretty much every day at like 10 a.m. <laughs> they're putting the lid on. They're not knowing what to do. And they're realizing that their meal ticket is leaving. And President-elect Biden is not the most outlandish person on earth. Um, that's saying it lightly. Um, so it's going to be very interesting because Trump to me shouldn't be the story right now. Um, we should, the story should be like, I don't know, this person got arrested, that person got arrested, this person's resigned. You know, Trump shouldn't be the actual story, but yet I'm watching the little clips of the media when I was doing research for this, and I was like, they can't help themselves. It is literally like an addict, and they're putting the needle in, and Trump is, you know, like their heroin and their fix, and they're like, oh, my God. And what's interesting is that it not only is they're they're not only addicted to him, he's addicted to them. And that's why he's going out of his mind now because he doesn't have any access. But funny story, he actually does have access. He's the president of the United States, or at least for today or tomorrow. I don't know how long. But he can stand in a behind the presidential seal anytime he wants. He can call into Fox News anytime he wants. So he still has access to getting out there. But he's just as addicted to them. And they have fed his ego. And they have created this monster. And the real question is, is what's going to happen afterwards? I mean, like really, 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 really what's going to happen afterwards? Because the difference is they were obsessed with Hillary Clinton and her emails and and Benghazi and like they wanted to be the one person to like get her and all that. But she didn't get off on that. That wasn't her fix. Trump and the media have this love-hate relationship. And that's, I I mean, really though, think about it. What are they going to do? Because those numbers are going to go away. We're going to have what many are saying to be a a boring president and whatever that means. Um, But what are they, what stories can they create? Because they're going to have to create some type of stories. You know, it's like they covered him 24-7 and all that did was amp up his behavior. And they knew he was going to amp up his behavior because there's too many intelligent people who saw what was happening and they could not... They could not stop it. And now they're in detox and they're hating every second of it. I mean, they are literally and figuratively in detox from Donald Trump and they don't know what way is up. And I just find it to be very interesting because (laughs) Hillary Clinton warned everyone, everyone about what was going to happen. She warned everyone and the media was so busy getting high off of Donald Trump that they didn't want to listen to her. And I have yet to hear from many media people take any sort of ownership on what they created. You know, when Trump um, came out and had his first statement after this crazy or during this craziness of on the Capitol, when he said, I love you, but go home. I love you. You're fine people or whatever it is that he said. I mean, that in part is years and years and years of the media just building this ego and responding to his outlandish statements that he, in his mind, did not comprehend for a second that that was not a good thing to say. He literally could not comprehend it, one, because he's a narcissist and all of that, but two, I almost would guarantee you he was thinking to himself, what's the media going to say about me? How are they going to respond to this? Oh my gosh, I'm driving them crazy because it was just this cat and mouse game that it was just constant. And, you know, Hillary warned everyone. She warned everyone. She said, I am the last thing before the apocalypse. And you guys all laughed. 
And now to all of those people who are like, oh, this is crazy or really, because if you would have been paying attention to Hillary the entire time, you would have known that. But I guess you couldn't pay attention to her because the media really wasn't covering her unless she had pneumonia or Benghazi or, you know, uh, but her emails. So that's going to be really interesting, everyone. Watch how the media responds now. And don't fall for this, this addiction. A lot of you guys have to get, cut yourself off from this addiction as well. It's just, it's never ending. I mean, you guys all want your fix, but it, it's never ending. And I don't know what's going to happen with Trump, and I don't know if he's going to be impeached or to the 25th Amendment or, you know, time will tell. We've got, what, 10 days, I think, 10 days, right? Um, Till this is, that part of it is over. I don't know what's going to happen legally, but I guarantee you when these legal cases do start coming up from New York and um, all of that, and maybe Georgia now and Pennsylvania, the, the media is probably going to get their fix that way, I suppose. And we're not going to hear a thing about anyone else or any other news story. But, you know, the reason that I started this was because I believe that Trump has suffocated, taken the air out of the entire room of news. And the news is always about him. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they're going to do with the addiction. And this goes for the left and the right and everyone in between and everyone further left and everyone further right. Good luck. I don't have to deal with that because... I listen to my girl, so I don't know, but check it out, guys. All right, guys, so I thought let's do something fun and um, test my knowledge. Usually, if I have a roundtable, I would be playing games with them, but COVID, so here we are. We're going to make the best of it possible. So I asked my um, editor, assistant, pretty much everything, to... Um, Pick four senators, I think I said, right? Four four sen women senators who are currently um, senators and, and get a picture, and then it could be name that senator. So let's name that senator. Okay, I have not seen these, I swear. I promise. It's on my iPad here. Okay, so first one. Oh, my gosh. I love her. She's, like, one of my faves. Uh, Senator Stabenow from Michigan. She's my girl. And, Senator Stabenow, if you're listening, um, I love you. And I would love, 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 love to interview you. These women in Michigan are phenomenal. So, good choice, Sam. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Next one is Joni Ernst, Ernst of Iowa. Another one that I thought, uh, how did she win re-election? Because she just won re-election. But... Um, yeah, that's Joni Ernst. <laughs> okay, here we go. Susan Collins, Senator Susan Collins of Maine, right? I got it right. Um, uh, she used to be really, really cool Republican, but not anymore. So there we go. And, uh, oh my gosh, New Hampshire. Don't tell me. Uh, she just won re-election in 2020. Uh, she was the governor of New Hampshire, not Hassan, but Shaheen, right? Yay! I did it all. See, so you guys can trust me. I know what I'm talking about. All right, so that was fun. She picked good ones too, but seriously, Debbie Stabenow, I love you so, so much. Those Michigan girls, I love them. Anyways, until next time, name that senator! Okay, so when I was coming up with this idea for this part of the OG of the HRC way, I thought I want to do something. I want to end every time, every segment with um, 
something called the Daily Descent, and it's obviously in honor of RBG, um, who was the queen of dissenting, and I could never replicate what she what she did. But um, my Daily Descents are basically just going to be me saying something that's bothering me or, you know, that I don't agree with or that I feel like people should know or whatever it is. So you never know what my daily descent is going to be. But um, today, my very first one, I want to start with, it's going to be a random one, guys. Um, I feel like everything's so serious right now and I just sort of want to lighten up the mood and get people sort of maybe enjoying something. So um, growing up, I used to watch reruns of Designing Women. I absolutely, positively love that show. And if you don't know what Designing Women is, I think it's on Hulu, so you should check it out, or Amazon Prime, or one of the million streaming services there are now. But I grew up and I watched it and I loved it um, in reruns. I only liked the first five seasons. It was on for seven seasons. It premiered in 1980, ooh, 1986, and it was on until 1993. But I only watched the first five seasons because they got recast and I was just like not about that life. So um, <laughs> I loved it. It's basically a show about four women who uh, own, they they run this interior designing company out of the woman who owns it, Julia Sugarbaker, her home. And she has a sister, Suzanne Sugarbaker, and they have an, an actual designer who works there, played by Annie Potts. The sister is played by Delta Burke and the the sister who owns is played by Dixie Carter, who's passed away, unfortunately. And then Charlene, who's like the receptionist book book person. But they all work together, so their lives intertwine. And it just and it's based in Georgia. So they're based in Atlanta. So they all have these fabulous, like, mama southern accents, the very like delicate southern accents. And what I loved about it was you had four different women who, in their own way, were so strong. And we're talking about the 80s when this show came on. We're talking about Reagan era. And they just beat to their own drum. Julia Sugarbaker, who's played again by Dixie Carter, was the matriarch of the show. And she would always go on like these liberal rants about the injustices of the world. But she did it with her southern accent. And she was stunning. And she just was so strong. And her sister was so opposite than her, Suzanne Sugarbaker. And she was a beauty queen. She was Miss uh, Miss Georgia and, you know, but had a great heart. And, you know, Annie Potts' character was very shy, but when you pushed her to the edge, she, she'd go off. And Charlene was played by Jean Smart, like I said, and she was just sort of, like, naive because she was originally from Arkansas. And <laughs> it just was phenomenal. And to be a young girl watching this show of these women who were living their truths at a time when, you know, there were not a whole lot of women leads on shows like that was pretty remarkable. So much so that when I was a kid, I wrote a letter to Dixie Carter and Designing Women, mind you, had been off the air for like years at this point. And I wrote her a letter and I just told her how amazing I thought she was and how much of a role model to me she was. And you guys, she wrote me back, like literally wrote me a hand letter, like with beautiful cursive, as I would expect it to be. And, and she wrote, she gave me an eight by 10. And it said, like, bless you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was so excited. And I still have that letter at my parents house. Because I just want to say to everyone that the this show, in the time period that it came on, women were starting to become their own. So we have 9 to 5, the movie with Jane Fonda, Dolly Parton, and Lily Tomlin comes out in 1980. 
And then we have, you know, like I said, Designing Women came out in 1986. The Golden Girls, which is all women cast, is 1985. Women were really starting to not only go back into the workforce, but really lead the way. We had movies like Baby Boom with Diane Keaton, a brilliant movie written by Nancy Myers, who was a woman director as well and brilliant. Um, And it's all about she was like this big executive and, you know, all of it. And it's just so amazing to see these things. And I feel like my generation sometimes sort of gets lost and the younger generation too. They get lost in that how many of these women, what they had to go through what they the one thing I loved about designing women was that they talked about everything from women's issues to sexual harassment to when you were walking by construction workers and they used to whistle at you and let me just tell you Julia Sugarbaker takes them on and takes them to task um you know uh AIDS gays and this is the 80s when they're talking about this so the brilliance of the show is just I mean, there was one woman who was domestic abuse. There was, you know, rape accusation, everything. And then they had, they brought on a, a, a man who was black and he worked for them. And he was this whole other aspect. He had been in prison and he was innocent. And so, I mean, it is just a great show. And when you look just honestly at the 80s, people don't talk about how important the 80s was for women and how it really set up the 90s to succeed. And in the 90s, we got RBG on the Supreme Court. Um, we have Hillary Clinton is is a first lady, and she's not just a first lady. She's fighting for health care. She's universal health care. She turned that into the CHIP program. She's just never since Eleanor Roosevelt have we seen a first lady like that. And, you know, we have all of these growths in women, and fast forward even further, and here we are, and we're about to have the first woman vice president. And I don't think that that's being discussed enough, and that how big of a deal that president-elect's State of the Union, when he turns around, he's got two women behind him. I mean, really think about that. And I honest to God think it's because of our mothers and our grandmothers in the 80s who just kept pushing forward when the women's movement seemed to kind of stalled. And women writers got together and said, let's write shows for women, about women, and about women's issues and it just worked. Murphy Brown was on in the 80s. And she's such an important show. And so to all my younger listeners, if you don't know what these shows are, Murphy Brown, Golden Girls, Designing Women, you need to watch it. Nine to Five, the movie, you need to watch. Um, Baby Boom, Diane Keaton, again, written by Nancy Myers. Brilliant. Just It shows you what these women had to go through and what was seen as normal. That's not normal anymore. And that's great that it's not normal. But we need to appreciate where we've come from. And people always talk about the suffragette movement. It's so important. People always talk about, you know, the early, late 60s, early 70s when we were, you know, out in the streets and rallying and Roe v. Wade and all of that. And, and of course, women's right to vote and all of that. Those are important factors in women's history. But women's television and cinema in the 80s really transformed and it transformed the way the nation was talking about the country because really think about when these shows and movies came out we had a first lady nancy reagan who all she cared about was her versace china and her designer gowns there was no like and say no to drugs which is like a bunch of bullshit but really honestly i beg of everyone 
please, I know that Designing Women is on Hulu or one of the streaming services. I know that Golden Girls is on Hulu. I know that 9 to 5 is kind of everywhere right now because Dolly Parton is such a big entity because she saves the world with the vaccines. Um, and, you know, I, I, Baby Boom is another one. There's so Murphy Brown. Oh, my gosh. Don't watch the remake because it was really, really bad. Sorry, Candace Bergen. I love you, but it was bad. Um but they were all written by women. They were all the the creators, the executive producers, and they and how remarkable is that? And they were telling stories that were so ahead of their time. And I promise you, you will not regret it. And you will you will learn and appreciate a time period, like I said, that most people don't talk about. And I just want to say this: that Senator Feinstein has been working for years to get a bill across to get a Smithsonian specifically for women's history because there's not one. And um, we were in D.C. not too long ago, and we did a whole little segment about how little women are appreciated in the in Washington, D.C., which is the memorial and the history of our entire country. So I'm happy to say, as of two weeks ago, Senator Feinstein finally, finally, finally got the approval in the Senate, meaning that um, President-elect Joe Biden will sign it into law because the Smithsonian is paid for by federal funds, taxpayer funds, so everyone can go for free and all that stuff. It has been approved, and we will officially be having a Women's History Museum. And if you've ever been in Washington, D.C. and seen these Smithsonians, you know how stellar of a job they do. So I am so excited because I am sure that there will be an entire area about 80s women, you know, women in the 80s, and because people just don't talk about it. And you know, I I was born in 85, so I feel like I was born in the midst of it all. You know, I'm part of the Reagan baby moment. So <laughs> I was in the midst of all that. And I just think it's some a time period that people, women, should know about, especially now as we break through the, another gra- glass ceiling and go on to the next glass ceiling and on and on to a point where there's no ceilings left to break. And it's just normal for the next generation. So, yes, please, everyone, check out those shows and just learn about that. And, um... Yeah, that is the daily descent. I'm obviously not as good as it as excuse me, I'm not as good as RBG is because she uses all these vocabularies that I'll never use. But hey, there you go. Daily descent with the OG of HRC. All right, guys, I hope that you've had fun today. I hope that you've learned a couple things. Um, Like I said, my overall goal is to just inform, inform, inform. So I hope that you push the subscribe button because I would love for you to keep coming back. We are just this is day one. So we're just throwing it all at you and we'll see what works and what what doesn't. I'm hoping to have some some friends join me very soon so we can have open dialogue. I want people, I want to make this clear to everyone. I may be the OG of the HRC, which is the original gangster of the Hillary Rodham Clinton, but I am a very open-minded, bipartisan believer, and I'm going to welcome anyone who wants to come to the table to have an open and honest dialogue, excluding extremes. No, thank you very much. So I hope you keep coming back. I hope you share. I hope you have learned something. Honest to God, that's all I'm trying to do. So until next time, guys, OG of the HRC, signing out.